Well, hey, everyone, welcome into the first podcast of 2021 here on the College Age Movement Podcast. We are so excited that you are here. We are starting a new series entitled Resilient, and Resilient is just a look at the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph is an incredible story about, obviously, resilience, but redemption. It's full of human fallibility, but also just unbelievable human faithfulness. And for the next month, what we're going to do is we're going to look at different parts of this story. And there's lots of scripture this week, so bear with me a little bit, but uh, it's important that we read the whole story. So Genesis chapter 37 is where we're going to start, verses 3 through 4, and it says this, Now Israel, who was Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So the first point this week is broken humanity leads to broken humanity. Although the culture that we're studying was completely different than ours today, we can easily see why this dynamic that was in this family is messy. I have one brother who's 12 years older than me, and that's hard enough, right? Like we had our fights and we had our miscommunications and we had our successes, but it was just, it was hard enough. Now, Joseph had 11 brothers and there were four different women who were the mothers of these brothers. Like that is just a setup for a really interesting, really complicated dynamic. Jacob, Joseph's father, has a past that is full of deceit and destruction and yet he's a pillar of faith But like so many of those pillars, he is so imperfect. If you read his story, he's imperfect, but God chooses to use him anyway. But it's really important that Joseph, or excuse me, Jacob is defined as imperfect, that he is human because he makes a human decision to favor his son, Joseph. And the response from Joseph's brother is understandably human. It's hatred. So what's the application for us today? I think it's this. Where we are rooted will determine how we respond. Where we are rooted will determine how we respond. The beautiful thing about a relationship with Jesus is that we get the opportunity to put a different lens on the situation. If we put Jesus at the forefront of how we view things and how we process things, there will be so much more health in the way that we respond, that we won't respond in broken humanity, but we will respond with the lens of Jesus. There's this phrase that simply says, Break my heart for what breaks yours. And I used to think it was so cheesy, but it's so true. Break my heart for what breaks yours, Jesus. Let me see people the way that you see people. Let me understand and assess situations and speak and all those different things the way that you would. You see, left to my own, my response will be human. But there's an opportunity for my response to be holy when I let Jesus be the lens at which I see things through. I have three kids and... Um, they, they respond in emotion so often because they're kids. And I ask, are you in control of your emotions or are your emotions in control of you? See, when we respond and we're rooted in our emotions, our humanity shines through. But when we're rooted in Jesus, Jesus shines through. So what happens in this situation is that the brothers are rooted in their own emotion and they don't take the time to stop and assess the situation with the help of God. And it leads them to do some pretty terrible things. So the Spark Notes version of, of chapter 37 is that Joseph shows in the robe. They hate him. He then has two dreams that talk about his brothers bowing down to him. They hate him even more. And he goes out to see them, and they, they make a plan to kill him. But his one of his brothers says, no, let's not kill him. Let's put him in a cistern. Like, we'll, we'll figure something else out. He's trying to delay what he sees as the inevitable, the death of his youngest brother, Joseph. 
So they put him in a cistern, which is meant for water, but they keep him down there, and then they have lunch. They have all the audacity to put their brother in a cistern and try to figure out what his fate is and then eat while they're trying to have that discussion. And his brother, who's trying to delay, walks off, and, and while he's gone, this caravan of Ishmaelites comes by, and they're uh, other slave traders, and, and his brothers sell him to the Ishmaelites. They sell him into slavery, and then they put blood on his robe and take it back to their father and say he must have been killed by a beast. So we'll pick up in Genesis 39, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time in this chapter. Genesis 39, verses 1 through 4 says this. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything that he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. So the next point is this. Do others see that the Lord is with us? Potiphar sees that the Lord is with Joseph. So do, do others see that the Lord is with us? And I want to recognize from the top here that this is a loaded question. There is a direct correlation between the Lord being with Joseph in prosperity, and that is not what I am talking about here. I want us to actually do some introspection and ask ourselves if people can see Jesus in the way that we carry ourselves, not because we are successful from a financial or prosperous route, but because people just see that there's something different, that there's something that sets us apart. Like, do we, do we actually have anything that sets us apart? We have to ask ourselves that. Potiphar ends up entrusting everything that he owns to Joseph because of God's presence. So do people entrust their stuff to us because Jesus' love and Jesus' presence is evident in our own lives? And when I say do people entrust us to their stuff, I don't mean their physical possessions. I mean their stuff, their baggage, their wants, their desires, their their successes, their failures, their everything, their emotions, their their relationships. Do people entrust us to this? Do they allow us? Do they invite us in to be a part, to, to be the attendant of them? Do people entrust us? Because they know that there's something that sets us apart. That they, they, they know that we are seeking the best will for their life, and that's the will of God. Not, not our own human will for their life, but what Jesus would have for them. And I think that it can be safe to assume that in this, in this specific instance, Joseph's impact went beyond the financial and into the relational. It can be easy for us to look at Joseph as a simple good luck charm, but Joseph was faithful to Potiphar and found success in everything that was asked of him. His faithfulness and reliability built trust. We would probably all agree that reliability and trust are things that we would want in our relationships, right? So are we willing to build those things in order for people to see Jesus? Not in order for people to think that we're awesome, but would we be willing to build and have faithfulness and reliability in our relationships so people trust us to have the conversations that we need to have? And the most important conversation is the conversation about how much Jesus loves them. Do people trust us? Do they believe that we are faithful to them? Are we reliable to them? Joseph was that for Potiphar, and, Joseph, and Potiphar entrusted everything to him. Do people entrust everything to us? The story goes on in verses 6 through 12. It says, So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now Joseph was a well-built and handsome man, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? 
And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. If you look at a biblical timeline, Joseph had been a high level servant in Potiphar's household for around 10 years at this point. He had built a reputation. He had been honest. He had been faithful for a decade. And Joseph couldn't fathom giving that all away for this singular temptation. Joseph had incredible self-control. Joseph was willing to see past the temporary. So that's the next point. Are we willing to see past the temporary? At face value, Joseph could have asked himself the same question that we ask ourselves. Who's really going to be hurt by this? Who would even know? But Joseph has wisdom, and Joseph is faithful to who God has asked him to be. Joseph knows that everything that had been built up to this point could be lost in an instant. And I think that this is the challenge. Not to dismiss the present from the future, but to understand that the decisions that we make today will impact us and the people around us forever. And I think that we can look at us from a couple different angles. Our decisions impact not only ourselves, but our sphere of influence. It can be really easy to undersell this. And it doesn't mean that, that where you eat for lunch tomorrow affects someone else's eternity, even though it could. And so I, I know people who pray about where they're supposed to eat every single day. Like there, there's, I think there's a ton of uh, value in that. But that, that's not exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that, that those little things is, are all the things that, that we need to stress out about every single decision. But I think that we need to prayerfully be aware that there is eternity-shaping opportunity in every conversation, every action. So where you have lunch, where, where you end up hanging out, or whatever, whatever group of friends you're with, like understand that there is eternity-shaping opportunity in every conversation and every action. I might have ta- told this story on the podcast before, but I had a friend in high school, and I never thought that he would come to know Jesus. He was a party animal. We, we weren't super close the first three years of high school, but our senior year, we, we shared a class, and we spent a ton of time together, and we became really close friends. And he knew that I was the church kid. He knew that I went to youth group. He knew those things. But I never – I was too scared to have the conversation with him. Like, he was very liberal. He was from a liberal family. He had, he had been pretty outspoken that he didn't believe in God and – and so I, I kind of avoided those conversations. Like I never had a specific intentional conversation about faith. Um, but if he asked me what I was doing on a Wednesday night or something like that, I'd be like, oh, I'm going to youth group or what are you doing with your weekend? Oh, I'm doing this serve project with my church. Like he, he knew, like I wasn't ashamed of my faith, but, but I wasn't like outspoken and I wasn't intentional about trying to get him to, to understand the love of Jesus. But halfway through our senior year, he meets Jesus. Um, through someone else, some other inter- interaction. I didn't ever know exactly what it was. I knew some of the contributing factors, but but I never um, knew exactly. And and we kind of moved through our senior year and, and didn't talk about it a ton. And, and I kicked myself for that too because I wanted to know. I should have known the story earlier. But he, he finds Jesus. He goes off to college in Missoula, and I'm here in Billings. And in the summer between our freshman year of college and our sophomore year of college, he comes back and we're having coffee in Off the Leaf. And it's now Mazevo uh, over on Grand Avenue here in Billings. And I, I will just never forget the interaction. We were sitting there. We're having a conversation. We're just like catching up kind of like it's small talk about how our year was, how the, the spring semester was, whatever. And another guy walks in and Joe, Joe goes, hey, I, I want you to meet this, this guy. Um, Evan, this is Casey. He is the person who prayed uh, the prayer with me. Like he was with me when I accepted Jesus. I was like, wow, that's so cool. Like I was like really jealous that Casey got to be a part of that, that moment. And I was like, wow, it was really nice to meet you. And then Joe introduced me and he says, 
hey, Casey, this is Evan, and Evan's the one who introduced me to Jesus. <laughs> and I had never, ever thought that I introduced him to Jesus. I thought I was fearful. <laughs> I thought I was uh, really neglecting the the opportunities that I had to, to introduce Joe to Jesus. And it was such an incredible reminder. And over the next couple hours, we had a really incredible, tearful conversation about just actions taken and words spoken and, and how me like spending time doing what I did and, and the way that I, that I treated him and those things, like they were so influential in his walk towards Jesus. And I never really understood the impact. And now I'm sitting here almost 15 years later and I still don't know that I fully understand the impact of my words and my actions. I want to be somebody who understands those things. Our decisions impact not just ourselves, but our sphere of influence. And our indecision can impact whether or not someone sees Jesus. And my prayer is that this community would be built on an unashamed passion for Jesus. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the good news of Jesus because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. That's amazing. It's an amazing statement. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the good news. I don't want to be indecisive. I want to make decisions where I have an eternal perspective. That, that I understand how important today is and I understand how important tomorrow is. And, and there's, there's, these, there's these things in the midst of our present that are so important, but that I would also look towards the future. The future doesn't replace the present, but an internal perspective, understanding that I want to love people into heaven. And Joseph was able to see past the temporary, the, the temptation to live in the moment. And I want to be able to see past the temporary. I want to appreciate the temporary for what it is, but I want to, I want to see past it and have an eternal perspective. See, Joseph was also being faithful to his master. He's being faithful to his master. And Joseph was making a decision that was the opposite of the garden. If you're familiar with the story of Adam and Eve in the beginning of the book of Genesis, 30 chapters prior to this, God says something and says, everything in this garden is yours. There's nobody in this garden that is above you. They're not a creature that's above you. But the one thing that you can't have is this fruit. And they, they, make, they make a mistake and they eat the fruit. What's said to Joseph? There's no one in this house that is above you. Everything is under your care. The only thing that you can't have is Potiphar's wife. And that the opportunity arises, but Joseph makes the decision not to sin. And I think it's a beautiful reminder that despite our brokenness and our messiness and, and all of the imperfection that lives in our lives, God is reminding us today that broken people, broken human beings can make holy decisions. Adam and Eve didn't. Joseph did. There is hope. We don't have to live in the grossness of being sinful people, but understand that we are capable with the help of God, the faithfulness of God, the favor of God, the presence of God to make holy decisions. It goes on to say in verses 13 through 23, it's kind of a long passage here. When she had saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make a sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard my scream, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me and make, to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness, granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. There it is again, right? The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. No matter what happened by the hands of human imperfection, 
Joseph served a perfect God. I think it's important that we understand this, is that God is not just with us, he is for us. God is not just with us, he is for us. As we continue the series over the next several weeks, we'll see this theme over and over again. Joseph's life to this point and moving forward is the definition of hills and valleys. While our story might not be as dramatic as slavery in prison, I hope, we can all identify with the idea of having highs and lows throughout our lives. I don't know exactly where you are today. I don't know where you're listening to this. And I wish I I had a perfect idea of where every person who listened to this was and I could just speak encouragement and wisdom directly into your life exactly where you're at. But I don't know where you're at. He does. He's fighting for you. He's with you. He's for you. There's this misconception that we have all the time that, that God is just an observer, that he is simply watching us, expecting perfection and then disappointed when we fail. But God is not just watching. God is cheering. God is for us. He's battling on our behalf. It's so important that we understand that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is active. Jesus is moving in our lives and the lives of the people around us. Joseph was never alone, and he was never operating simply in his own abilities, and you and I are not either. This is what's amazing about this, this story is that Joseph found favor in his father's eyes, and then he found favor in Potiphar's eyes, and then he found favor in the warden's eyes. But what he understood was that the favor that was going to get him through his life was that of his heavenly father. So would we be people who understand that God is with us, that he is for us, that he favors us, and that is all that matters? So no matter where today marks, whether it's a hill or a valley or somewhere in, beto- in between, would we be people who know that Jesus is with us, for us, and loves us, fully. If you're able to, what I would invite you to do is bow your head. I just want to read this passage out of Romans chapter 8 over you as we enter into this new year. It says this, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, he will, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. He is for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered. No, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is Christ Jesus our Lord. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the first College Age Movement podcast of 2021. We love you guys. And if you are comfortable meeting in person and you are in Billings, come hang out with us Tuesday nights, 7 o'clock here at Faith Chapel. If you're not in Billings or you can't make it on Tuesday nights, we hope this podcast continues to bring life and challenge and reminders of who God sees you as, not as a beloved child of God. We love you guys, and we'll see you next week.